Yay, we're back. We are back. This is the first time we're recording at night, which <laughs> listeners don't know, but this is like after dark for us. Yeah, yeah after hours. They're going to be able to tell that we're like exa- We're both so tired right now. <laughs> that is very true. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure, I feel like the last two episodes, we've kind of like just dove in. Mm-hmm. And I want to acquaint, if people are listening for the first time and haven't started episode one, mm-hmm. just to reintroduce ourselves, to reintroduce like what it is even we're doing here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is the Build Up Podcast and this is a series about we're documenting your Olympic trials marathon prep mm-hmm. um, for the months leading up to the marathon trials. Mm-hmm. And um, once a month, we sit and talk and we're dear friends. Mm-hmm. Molly's a professional runner and Olympian. <laughs> Anything else about you? Um, you have so many. Yeah, I guess like the context of this is uh, my friend Jules is like longtime podcaster, thoughtful person, um, wanted to do this podcast with me. I am the 2020 Olympic bronze medalist in the marathon, and I am working my way towards qualifying for Paris 2024. And this podcast is cataloging that journey. So yeah, welcome if you're a first time listener. And if you've listened before, welcome back. You were so articulate in that. I'm like, yeah, you're the bronze medalist. Yeah, yeah, we're like, what is it, three episodes into this? We, we've got our role. Is Yo, this the third, fourth? No, this is the fourth. Oh, my God. Wow, yeah. I'm losing track of time. Yeah, and our stats just continue to, like, every episode. Mm-hmm. We continue to outdo ourselves. It's cool. Yeah, th- thank you, everybody, for not... Um, hopefully, people didn't cancel us after uh, our hot takes on the Olympic trials marathon last time. Yeah, that was a little spicy, and yeah. the time has been moved to yes, 10 a.m. the time has been moved to 10 a.m. and I still give negative fucks about it. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, I'll be there. It might be hot, might be cold. We'll see. Yeah, it, it's going to be what it's going to be, BB. Yeah. So last month, we and then an episode previewed that both of our partners were running a 50-mile race. Uh, a 50-mile race against horses. Against horses, <laughs> yes. How was your experience spectating? Uh, my experience was fabulous spectating. Honestly, it was so much fun having you guys out there. We had um, you and Tim. Tim was obviously racing. And then uh, one of my fr- old friends from college, um, Danny, and her partner, Austin, came out. And then our other friends, Punt and Megan. And honestly, it was so much fun. Everybody camped out the night before. Um just like it was a party and like Tim and Matt did amazing. Timmy came home with bronze. Seriously, bronze against the horses. It was awesome. Yeah. And Matt ran 40 minutes faster than last year, which is just casually a thing that happens in ultra marathons. So that's fun. I feel like when the race gets like 50 miles, it's like, oh yeah, whatever. I PR'd by 40 minutes. Like that's objectively insane. It is insane. (laughs) When you watch ultras, does it make you have any desire? No, no, negative. No, absolutely not. No. (laughs) Tell me more. That's just a different sport. That's like asking me if I'm like watching soccer, if that makes me want to play soccer. I don't know. I think it's just be like at this point in my life, I see that as such a completely different thing. Like maybe someday after I'm done with like pro marathoning, but Watching them run up that mountain, like they ran up and over Mingus Mountain, which is for the listeners, a very large mountain. Like we drove up to the top and it takes a solid half hour to drive up to the top. And they ran up and over that twice and standing up on top, looking down at the bottom into the Verde Valley. I was like, absolutely not. No, 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 no. Okay. So if you had to do a 50K, Uh so 50K for those who don't know, it's 31 miles. So it's like Mm -hmm. the first ultra distance. Mm -hmm. 
would it be like flat, like pavement? Like if you had to do some type of ultra, what would it look like? I would love to do like what Des Linden did where she just went out on this bike path or something and like raced like a flat fast one to like go for time. Cause I think a 50 K is very pro like to most marathoners. That's only like what five more miles. I feel like that's something that I'd want to go after is like a 50 K like road record. Like I think like the aspect of like running fast in ultra marathons, like really appeals to me. Something like a Javelina or a Black Canyon, like some of these flatter, fast races. But no, I the crazy technical steep ones, like that's just ankle breaking for me. Understood. So this 50k <laughs> that I'm describing, this theoretical to to 50k that we're <laughs> oh describing. Gosh. I mean, this, this is a soft lunch <laughs> for me doing the 50k. <laughs> Matt's like smiling in the corner. <laughs> Think about also like the amount of miles you run in a week. Like you would be 110% ready to run a 50 Oh, I know I'd be but- 110%. It's, it's the technical aspect of trail running that terrifies me. That's why I have so much like respect for trail runners. Like something like what Grayson Murphy does. Like that that's crazy. I could, I've run with her on trails and she's like a speed goat. Like it's insane. I just, I can't move my feet that fast. Yeah, I feel like trail running is probably the only time I could run with you. (laughs) I know, you were lighting me up when we were coming down out of, uh, what is it, Lockett Meadow a few weeks ago. I was like, the only time this is our equalizer. Exactly. Put put lots of rocks. But that's what I'm saying. I think trail running, like, we have to consider, that's why I hate when roadies are like, just assume that they would crush trail running if they switched over it because it's not. You have this technical aspect and it's much more difficult than people assume. Very much like, so. It's a, it's a completely different kind of running. 100% agree. Mm-hmm. So if you were to do a 50K f- flat, fast pavement, mm-hmm. how, like what timeline? Would this be in like the next 10 years, next three years? Like when could you see this happening? I feel like you? I'd be willing to do that like next year. Like after like after like you know, just doing it is like, oh, it would be like a fun focus to like do for a while if you had like some some extra time. Now what is the smallest? I feel like I've asked you this question before, but is the smallest possible loop that you would loop for a 50K? Like without getting totally bored. I mean, I've done a marathon on a one mile loop. The the year that I did London, I guess that was 1.3 around wow. Buckingham Palace. So what was that? Like 19 and change laps for a marathon. I, I think I could very well do a, a one mile loop. Anything smaller than that, I feel like is a little too much. So how about the tempo loop in Harvard? Oh, the 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 1200 meter yeah. um, tempo loop. Too small? I don't, I don't know, because that's not even t- 1200 meters. I, for the listeners, the tempo loop in Boston is a loop around the Harvard Stadium that it is artfully designed so that your GPS glitches around part of it. So everyone says that it's 1200 meters and it comes out to 1200 meters on GPS. It's not 1200 meters. Everybody during the pandemic ran their PR on this tempo loop. Um, I could maybe do it. Like that would be a mental challenge, but maybe I could do it. Are we putting together the Harvard tempo loop 50K? Maybe. I'd run the record on it because it wouldn't be a 50K. <laughs> That's the kicker. It would be like 48K. <laughs> I'm there for it. Let's I do will it. You. Let's do it. We're, we're making it. Okay. We're making it happen in 2025. Let's go. Or late 2024, depending on how things go. <laughs> yeah. Not in the humidity in Boston though. I mean, although you could handle that. I could handle that. That'd yeah. be fine. Okay. You heard it here first. Yeah. We're doing it. We're doing it live. Reach out if you have any interest in participating. Yeah. If anybody <laughs> wants to put this on, host 
used it. We'll show up. We'll bring donuts. It'll be great. Yeah. So this past month, November, mm-hmm. I feel like you were all over the place. New York, Boston, Las Vegas, Flag. Um, let's kind of go back and start with mm-hmm. New York City Marathon yeah. weekend. How did it feel to return there? That marathon is a marathon we've had a lot of success in. Mm-hmm. How was it to be watching it? It was actually really cool to watch it because... I think for a long time over the last two years of just being in like not the most positive mental space and like really being on this kind of like, like wondering what my future was in the sport and just, yeah, being in a really negative headspace. I've really struggled with that aspect of like being excited about racing sometimes. Like it's just hard when you're in the thick of it, uh, like Mm -hmm. being injured or being, yeah, just down in the bottom of the well to get that like excitement back. And being out in New York, I think was such a good marker for me of where I'm at in that like recovery journey of seeing that race and being like, I really want to race this again. Like I got so excited seeing it. And it was that feeling of like, I want to be in this race right now. Why am I not racing this right now? And like, obviously I'm not racing it because I just did a marathon, but it's like, it was that feeling that I haven't had in the longest time of just like, yeah, I want to be out there. And I think that was like, it was realizing that. And I'm like, yeah, I really want this again. That it was like, it was just a good, yeah, a good marker or like being able to reflect of like how far things have come. And it was just fun. Like the New York City Marathon is legitimately, I think probably one of the best atmospheres of any marathon. Yeah, what do you think makes it so special? I mean, there's 2 million people out on the course watching. Like that helps. I think the aspect of it that every time you go through a different neighborhood, like the the vibe changes and there's so many people out cheering. There really isn't, I think, now having done Boston and Chicago, and I, I can't speak to London because that was its own pandemic thing. But having done those races, like Chicago cheering was incredible. Boston, I didn't make it far enough for the cheering to like be that great. But like New York is end to end, probably the most intense cheering that you get of any major. Um, And it's just a really difficult, gnarly course that I think adds like, it's that, that crazy aspect of it. Like things can happen that you don't expect. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've never been, I've always wanted to, and I'll cheer you on when you go next, when you run next. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I saw this video on Instagram of you chugging milk while running. Yeah. Break this down for me. What (laughs) happened there? (laughs) Izzy and I were doing a, so Izzy had set it up, but it was for Sad Girl Track Club. She had set up this partnership with, with Got Milk. They're doing like a huge thing right now for women's marathoning. And because I was coming into town, she was like, Hey, like, Molly will be around. Do you want her to be involved? And they're like, yeah, sure. We'd love if she showed up. And as we were walking to this shakeout run, we were like passing this corner store and we were like, you know, it would be hilarious. Like if we just got like cartons of milk and just like drank it, I feel like they'd be down for that. Right. And as he was like, yeah, I feel like they know that sad girl track club is pretty unhinged. Like, why don't we just go for it? So yeah, we just busted that out in the middle. Um, it was a, a terrible idea. I, love milk, but damn, that was a regrettable, regrettable decision. That's some like GI training for ultras. Yeah, honestly, honestly. Um, I, I don't know if I'll repeat that experience. I, I will consume milk after runs, but yeah, probably not during anymore. Did you like throw up at all during the run? I'm, like- I'm, I'm not gonna, I, for any listeners who have, um, yeah, misophonia or any of the, <laughs> we're, we're 
going to get into that. We'll just, we'll leave it at, it was a, a very regrettable decision. Okay. Something Noted. I will not do again. Noted. Yeah. 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 But drink milk, guys. It's great after running. After running. <laughs> after running. Are you more like regular milk or chocolate milk post-running? Honestly, chocolate milk, like Fairlife chocolate milk is my, like, on my, on my Mount Rushmore of milks, probably three of those are various Fairlife milks. Okay. I don't know. It's really good. It's like thick. But yeah, they gave us Fairlife chocolate milk afterwards and definitely like chugged one of those as well. So it was a, it was a, a hefty dairy day. <laughs> <laughs> Honoring your Wisconsin roots. Exactly. You got it. Like I was born and raised on that stuff. Gotta, gotta keep it going. Gotta keep these, these bones. <laughs> yeah. Those bones run a lot of, a lot of miles. Yeah. <laughs> um, so from New York, you went to Boston. Mm-hmm. Tell me a bit about what was the purpose of that part of your trip. Yeah. So we actually flew directly from Boston. So we, as in me and my training partner, Jessa, who's also a Puma athlete, we flew directly up to Boston and we did a full day of efficiency testing for Puma. So this is a new thing that we're doing with them because Puma has two different racing shoes. They have the the DV8 um, Nitro Elite and the Fast R2. And they're very different shoes. And they've found that different marathoners, just based on how you run, respond to them really differently. So basically what they're trying to do is give everybody concrete info about which shoe you run in better, just based off of your running style. Um, So we went up there, Matt came along, John, our coach, flew out as well. And they put you on this treadmill with, frankly, a horrific breathing apparatus. Like, I don't know why people like, uh, they were saying, oh, some people love running in these. They ask us to come in. I'm like, those people are psychotic. Because it's like... um, if you if anyone goes on my Instagram, you'll see this contraption, but it straps around your head and in the front, and then it they plug your nose and it's a breathing tube in front, like a snorkel mask. And so the idea is that you run six miles. So it's run a mile, five minute break, run a mile, five minute break, and we're trading off shoes each time. And they measure your oxygen consumption or output, one of those. We'll fact check that later next month. Um, but basically they can tell which pair of shoes you use less oxygen to run a mile in. And so whichever you use less oxygen, you're more efficient in. Um, And so we did the testing and we found out that I was actually 2% more efficient in my like OG deviate elite like shoe that I have like, it's the third or the, um, a new like developmental model they have for it. But basically my tried and true, I'm, far more efficient than in the other one. But then like someone like Rory Linklater, um, who, who paced me at Chicago, another Puma marathoner, he's far more efficient in the fast start too. So it's kind of funny. It really just comes down to how you run. Okay. So I want to break this down. Sorry. That was like, so I just literally just like, no, I love this. information this on like you. <laughs> exercise physiologist Molly. Like, yeah. let's go. Um, so when you were running the miles mm-hmm. and you were doing the six miles and you were alternating, were you running them at the same effort each mm-hmm. mile? And what kind of effort was it? Yeah. So they have a very fancy treadmill on there and they set it. The goal was to do it at marathon pace, but we set it slightly slower just because I was having a lot of trouble. Like the first one, when we put on the mask and trying to breathe through it because it actually like takes effort to breathe out into it. And I was getting like, I'm not a claustrophobic person, but I was like freaking out a little bit. I think it's something with the plugging my nose because I breathe through my nose a lot actually when I run Mm -hmm. and it was the plugging the nose and then having to like, 
like breathe out hard. I could not breathe for the life of me. So we slowed it down a little bit. So I was running like 525 miles on this treadmill and they just set it. Like they set the pace and then that just goes for a mile. And then after it, I'm like watching the clock, like waiting for it to count down. It was not a positive experience. Were you listening to music? No, nope, you're just you? alone with your own toxic thoughts going on. Oh my God. Yeah, but, and there's a ton of people in the room. And so it's like, our like the head of Puma running is like coming in and out intermittently. So you're like, gotta look good. Like you're like everyone at Puma is like walking by. And so you're like, oh my God, I gotta like make sure I'm actually showing them that I'm like the professional marathon they're paying or professional marathoner they're paying to do this. So, um, but it was really cool to get that like cold hard data because it's something where like I've been trying to wear both shoes and almost like, in the shoe, the fast R2, which I like, am just not quite as efficient in. I've been like trying to make myself, I'm like, if I just train in them more, I'll be more efficient. And for them to be able to like validate me a little bit and be like, no, like you are more efficient in the other ones. I'm like, okay, like that feels good to know. And what do you think it is about that, the shoe that you are more efficient in? Like, what is it that your body's responding to? I think the, so with shoe technology, I think like when, when super shoes were introduced, it's just the introduction of these super critical foams, the really bouncy foams and the carbon plates, it was such an enormous like benefit. Basically, we got to a point of the more foam you add, the stiffer the plate, the more people improve. And we've now almost hit this like, I'm trying to think, it's like the improvement curve has kind of like leveled off in a way. Like you almost hit the like, what is it? It's like a logarithmic curve or whatnot. So it's like, you hit a certain point where I believe that certain runners, me specifically, and a lot of women, we aren't necessarily powerful enough or drive hard enough to be able to smash the foam down and work that plate and be able to explode off of it. So something like the Fast Start 2 is a really max cushion, really aggressive plate on it. So a lot of the male marathoners, we, like at least from what I've, I don't know this, like, actual data, but it seems like really powerful female runners or male runners who are able to put a lot of force into that shoe, they rebound off of it like crazy. It's like running on trampolines. I think you see that with some like really powerful female runners who like the Alpha Fly, mm -hmm. um, like a Shalane Flanagan or a Kier Diamato, where they can just like smash into it, drive really hard off the front of their feet and explode off of it. I am a shuffler. Like I, I, probably a better term is I'm a glider. And so I come through, I don't drive quite as hard into the ground, um, but I'm able to distribute my weight pretty well off of it and like smoothly transition off the shoe. So something that's a little bit less aggressive actually works a lot better for me because I'm super efficient. Like I conserve a lot of energy over time. I think like M. Sisson and I share that in common. Like you watch both of us run and we're not like hammering away, but we can serve a lot of energy and we can keep at the same, like, I don't know, same gait cycle for a long period of time. Sorry, yeah. more like detailed exercise no, I'm, physiology. I'm so into this and I know some folks will be and if yeah. people aren't, they'll just move yeah. through. But I think oh. it is such a, per like, and I think that's why I really appreciate what Puma is doing, that it's like, they've developed these two great shoes and they're very committed to figuring out, not telling us like, you have to run in this specific shoe because of marketing things. Like, mm -hmm. this is our new shoe, you have to run in this one. Like, they are very aware of the fact that it's like, some people run better in either of the shoes 
the trick is to find which one you run better in. It's the same thing as with Nike of Vaporfly versus Alphafly. Some people just prefer one over the other. And so when you were doing that testing, was there any testing of like VO2 max or lactate threshold? No, we didn't do... So VO2 max testing is a slightly different thing. Like the whole point of this is to make all of the miles exactly the same. So they like... I was even telling them, because usually when we do mile repeats like that, we only take like a minute break in between. And they're like, no, we specifically do not want this to be like a lactate. We need you to be as fresh as possible for each of the miles. That's why we're taking a full five minutes wow. in between. That's like yeah, a sprinter's rest. Exactly. It was almost kind of weird, but it helped because we had to like fully change shoes and like get the headpiece on and off and whatnot. Um, I'd be interested to go back and A, do more testing. Like I really want to see the improvement of this new developmental shoe that they're doing versus the the shoe that I've raced previously and just to see whether like what kind of improvement there is there because it like I really like these new ones that they've got um and then yeah just from there I feel like lactate threshold testing would be cool to see at the very least but yeah have you ever done like official vo2 max testing no you haven't no I I almost worry about like a lot of people will say that like wow I can't believe you haven't done it one I am so worried about how miserable it would be because it's effectively that same headpiece, but they just keep making the treadmill faster and faster until you can't go anymore. I'm like, oh my God, this sounds like torture. Um, but then also too, like, what if the number comes back bad? Like, it, like, I don't know, I can gaslight myself into thinking that I have the best VO2 max in the world, but when it comes back, say it's like, say it comes back really bad and that gets in my head, like... Okay, well, let's just... What, where, what does knowing my VO2 max help me with? That's a good question. And it sounds like it's like you got a bronze medal. Your yeah. VO2 max probably is extraordinary. But that's and the thing. I don't think it is because it's a bronze medal in the marathon. We never hit our VO2. Okay, okay, I hear yeah. you. I'm, I'm going to guess that it's higher than the normal person. <laughs> Maybe it's not like a Norwegian skier level. Yeah. But, um, but I do think that's a good question of like, how would it change what you're doing now? It, it sounds like it wouldn't. Yeah, I, I think maybe that's it is like, I guess I, with all of these, even with lactate threshold training, I don't necessarily know what I do with that information. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would like make training certain lactate, like, but that's the thing I feel like with a lot of like pros, the like all the training that we do, we learn what those paces are supposed to feel like. Like just, I literally just came from here straight from the track. I did a, um, a double T workout, so double threshold with Nikki Hiltz. And so it, it's nice because it's like, I feel like both of us are pretty good at knowing exactly what like threshold is supposed to feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone like Nikki, who's one of the fastest milers in America right now for them to be able to know exactly and control themselves and not be a workout hero in a threshold workout to just be like, we were just running straight 520s the entire way. Nikki can run so much faster than that, but we both know that point of threshold is to stick right at that, that feeling Mm. and not, it's not, the point isn't to finish in a five minute mile and be a workout hero. It's to run exactly that threshold for the five miles of the second set of workouts. Yeah. And so what for you is the threshold feeling? Like, what does it feel like in your body, your mind? It. How do you know that you're there? Threshold is a, a feeling of like, it's almost like a smoothness that you get. Like when you hit that pace, it's being able, you're working, but you're able to continue and you just feel smooth. Almost like your legs are turning over in a way that's conserving energy. You're not working crazy, crazy hard, but you feel it in your lungs. I think the best 
approximation I can use is my college coach would say this is you feel like a pot of water that is just about to boil over, but not quite. Like you're just on that edge. And it's a really cool feeling. Like when you're able to nail it, like you feel like you can just like click off reps and you aren't like gassing your legs. Every rep you finish feeling like, okay, like I'm winded. That was like a good amount of work, but I can do another one and I can do another one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so today you did two threshold Mm -hmm. workouts in the morning and the evening. Um, Tell me a little bit about your mental experience in the morning versus your mental experience in the evening. (laughs) Double T is so interesting. Having now done it for the better part of, what is it, three years or so, I felt like absolute trash in the morning. Like, I don't know if it was a combination of not getting a whole lot of sleep this past weekend. I had a really big workout this past weekend as well. And my legs weren't super well recovered, but like I got into this morning and it was every rep kind of like having to really focus on doing it and still being slow on every rep. Um, And just trying to keep that positive headspace of just like, okay, like the point is to feel like I'm at that threshold level of like breathing and effort, even if my legs feel absolutely swamped right now. Um, And so the morning was definitely this very much of like every rep. I'm like, okay, focus in, you can do this, Molly. And then I got to the afternoon and getting to do it with Nikki, John was pacing us on the bike and it was just like, we were in full flow. Like every single rep just felt like good. And so it was so funny of like, you think you would feel more tired in the afternoon after I'd already done, I mean, it was 14 miles total in the morning and like I did seven miles worth of, yeah, threshold work, like, or seven by mile in the morning and then to somehow feel better in the afternoon for five by mile. It's such a funny physiological thing. How do you make sense of that? I think some of it is a little bit that like your body is warmed up into it almost. Mm-hmm. Um, your body's like ready for that effort in the afternoon. But I think also just having another person there, like having Nikki there made it so much more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, I just like a more positive state. And you know, once I finish this, I'm done for the day. In the morning, you in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, shit, I got to do five more miles like at night or I guess nine miles total, but... And in between the two workouts, how did you spend your day? Like, how were you recovering? Were you on your feet a lot? <laughs> Today, I did a really shit job of recovering, but um, usually I'm like at home, I'll try to take a quick nap or something or just rest, like be off my feet. Um, but today I just had like a lot of stuff that I had to get done. So I was running around all day. So it was basically like, yeah, I feel like I got home, had to do like some errands, uh, like went out, met somebody for coffee, and like, it was, <laughs> it was just the kind of thing where like, I feel like I like rolled into the second workout just being like, well, this might be interesting. Cause I've literally <laughs> just been like pinging around and didn't get any rest, but it was fine. Like, yeah. And some how, days are just like that. Yeah. How long, um, after doing the double threshold, do you feel like it takes your body to recover? Mm, I think today we finished up around, we started at nine in the morning, finished at around 11 with the cool down. And then we worked out again around like 3.30, which I felt like was a pretty like, it's not like the, like the longest turnaround, but like, it felt like enough. I think what I'm saying is like after today. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, that's okay. We're like on a Tuesday right now. Like, will it be like Friday? You'll feel like recovered from it. You'll notice it tomorrow. Like how long will it kind of be in your 
and your body, your mind, your I'll definitely feel it tomorrow. So tomorrow I'll do a semi-long run. So I'll do like probably like 14 or 15 miles versus my normal, like, like 12 to 13 on a normal easy day. Um, and I'll probably like, I'm not going to feel great tomorrow, but that's, I can just go easy on it. Um, and we're going to drop down into Phoenix. Um, cause I'm going to go see John Ball. Um, but yeah, I feel like I'll probably start feeling back to normal on my second run on Thursday <laughs> and just in time to work out again Friday. <laughs> That's kind of wild. Like knowing that like, okay, the next like, you know, almost 48 hours, you're mm-hmm. not going to feel good. And so it's just like, yeah. it's almost like, so like this ebb and flow that mm-hmm. you almost have to ride with your body. It is interesting though. I feel like with pro marathoning, you time it so that you don't ever feel good on your easy days. You time it so that the next time you feel moderately good is the next workout day. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we're on a 14 day schedule. We've just shifted fully yes. to a 14 day schedule, which really helps. And it gives me that time always that every time after a workout, I know I'm going to have two days in between to recover. Because it used to be sometimes of like, if I had a hard long run on Sunday and then knowing I have to turn back around for a workout on Tuesday, I would get swamped really quickly with that. Like one day is, I know some people are able to recover really quickly. I'm not one of those people. (laughs) And so it's nice always knowing that I can count on those two days to get back to where I need to so that I can focus on that workout actually being quality. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's super interesting. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like the 14-day cycle transition is going? Because you mentioned it last month as like starting mm-hmm. this new. Yeah, it, it like honestly, it's been fantastic. Like we did our first full 14-day cycle last week. So it finished with like on Saturday, this past Saturday, Saturday morning, we woke up, went out to this spot in Henderson, just outside of Vegas and did, it was, I call it like 2020. So 20 miles with 20 K of quote unquote, like marathon pace progression. So started around 540, finished sub 530 or so. And that just felt so good. Really, really smooth, like a really solid day. But um, I was very glad that I had the next day off because I felt like my legs were just like, just feeling it a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So last month you previewed that you were doing something very secret and exciting. <laughs> yep. And the world follows you on Instagram, which they should. Um, they probably know. Mm-hmm. You went to F1 Las Vegas Grand Prix. Yep. Talk about it. Oh How my God, it? Jules. It was... <laughs> legitimately like something that I always have dreamed about going to F1. Like I have been an F1 fan since like a little, little kid. I think I watched F1 races every weekend of my childhood from my dad. Like he's a huge F1 fan. Getting to actually go and see Formula One in person was like a, like a transcendental experience. Like I kid you not, I almost started crying at the beginning of the, and I'm not that kind I'm not that kind of girl usually. I'm usually not a very emotional person. I thought I was going to be really well prepared for this race just from having seen so much car racing throughout my life. It was so different. Oh my god, it was incredible. Like I I'm still uh, like on a like coming down off of this experience from the weekend. Yeah. How did your dad feel about not? Oh, being he was so salty. He was so salty. Like the biggest betrayal. Matt is gonna hear about this for the rest of his life. That Matt, the boyfriend, got taken to the F1 race instead of my my dear father, F1 fan extraordinaire. Who also races. Cars. Who also races cars. And even like 
my brother also races cars and is a big fan of Formula One. Like this was just, this was like the knife into the heart of both my like (laughs) dual knives, like father, brother. That's rough. Christmas is going to be spicy. Oh yeah. It's going to be real spicy. Um, This is the thing. Like Matt has to stay with me now because I will get like so much crap for the rest of my life. Like, and you took that boy, (laughs) that boy. Um, But I promise them, I'm like, guys, like I I will do everything in my power to try and get the two of you to an F1 race at some point. Cause it was just, it, it was everything I could have imagined and more. So let's back up. How did you even like get to go? Because mm-hmm. I feel like um, that's kind of unique. I owe this so much to um, John and Matt and Jessa and my peeps at Puma because at when we were in Chicago, um, I was having to do a bunch of like press stuff and whatnot. And uh, Dario Tipman is my he like kind of like my manager at Puma. He's in charge of a lot of the pro um, pro runners there. And so they went out and grabbed coffee with Dario. Dario came to watch the races. And John and Jessa and Matt were selling so hard. They're like, Molly loves F1. Like, if you, like the, what Molly would love most in the world is to get to go to an F1 race, especially Vegas, uh, because it's so close. They can just drive there. And so they were selling this hard all weekend. And like, I think the fact that I raced well in Chicago, like sealed the deal on that one. Cause Dario, my man, he went to bat for me and he calls me up probably like two weeks after, um, Chicago. And he's like, would you be open to going to the F1 race? And I almost like dropped the phone. I was so excited. I was like, yes, of course, like we're there. Um, so he set all of this up. It's a huge event that they do for all, like they bring in a lot of the Puma retailers. And so they want a lot of their athletes there, um, like their top name athletes. And I was kind of like, oh no, it's going to be like Mondo Duplantis, like the best pole vaulter in the world ever. And like Brianna Stewart, the top like female basketball player. And then the girl who got third in that race one time. Um, But it was the kind of thing that I was just so grateful that they let me be a part of that. And yeah, it was like the, it was so cool just meeting all the different Puma people there because it's a huge event for them. Um, and then just getting to like go to town at the races. It, it, yeah, it was pretty cool all around just from the stance of like meeting all the Puma people, like a lot of their corporate people and like the, the head of the company is there and all their creative directors and then meeting other Puma athletes. I felt like that was, it was a very just like all around really cool experience. If there was like a visual snapshot from the weekend that you would never want to forget, what is that like photo or snapshot in your mind? I think it was getting to, so like Puma had a box in the paddock club, which is like this huge building they built for F1. And the Puma box was directly in front of the start line. Like, so all the drivers are lined up. My favorite driver in the world, Charles Leclerc, is like right in front of us because he qualified on P1. And so he is like directly in my line of sight, like Max Verstappen is right there. Like it, that snapshot of them, like, like the four, like red lights, like going up lights out them going, like if I could take a picture with my mind, that is what I want to remember forever. Like I almost legitimately started crying when they went because it was just like, I was filled with so much emotion. I was just like, this is something I've dreamed about my entire life. And the noise and like, you feel it in your chest when the engines go, it was like, yeah, 
It was powerful. 10 out of 10. No notes. Peak, peak life experience. Peak life experience. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> when you watch F1 racers, or is it drivers? I'm really yeah, not. Drivers. drivers. I'm really not mm-hmm. in the F1 loop. Um, do you feel like there's any similarities between what they do and what you do as a marathoner? Or- or anything that like you learned from them that you would then apply to your running? Actually, yes. It, it's funny because like, so my, like my dad is a driver or whatnot. Like he, he's not a runner necessarily, but where I feel like he's actually given me a lot of really good advice comes from his experience of racing of like, and I feel like that's what I take to racing is like, the line that you choose is really important. Like the way that you're approaching a course, I think a lot of people just assume that running is running. It's just the fastest person wins. And I truly do believe that how you race on a course, how you're taking the tangents, how you're using the people around you to move up, to conserve energy, drafting off of people. I think those are very important aspects that people don't think about enough in running. And so I... I do think that those aspects translate directly over from whether it's motorsport or athletics. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's super cool. I love that idea of like choosing your line. Yeah, whether exactly. Whether it be like literal line or like you're a figurative line of like where you're choosing your, letting your mm-hmm. thoughts flow. Yeah, exactly. And I think also focusing on the course ahead of you rather than the the obstacles sometimes. And back to my favorite podcast, Armchair Expert, but they were just talking about this on there of, I think Jack Shepard brought up that like he was taking some aspects from rally car racing, that it's the same in like road racing as well, that it's this idea that what you stare at is what you're going to go towards. That like, if you're racing and you're staring at the wall, you're going to go into the wall. If you're staring at the apex of the curve and like the line that you need to be taking on the course, you're going to follow that. But the hardest thing is to not look at the obstacle it's like, because it's so, like when you're going that fast, you want to be looking at the thing that you might run into, but you have to stare at the way that you want to go. And I think that that, like, I felt that so deeply of just like, I feel like that's running. Like you need to just keep your eye on where you're going rather than focusing on the things that could go wrong or how bad you're feeling or worrying about whether or not you're going to make it to the finish line. You just have to stay focused on where you're heading. So much wisdom in those words. Did you see Dax? We did it. That was the one person. Jules, we saw literally every other imaginable celebrity except for Dax Shepard. No. Matt uh, Matt was heartbroken. Like, I'm but, heartbroken But see, you. this is the thing. Like, the, it just, like, I realized, I'm like, you know what? That's what it means that, like, it's just not my time yet. I know that we're going to meet at some point, but it just wasn't that time. But no, 2024, you're getting on his pod. Not, I know not it's God, See, that's the thing. Like, I, I was joking with Matt about this. I'm like, I just have to run well enough that I can get on Armchair Expert. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, I couldn't get it this easily. I couldn't meet him at an F1 race that I didn't earn. I have to earn my way onto that podcast. But no, we got to meet legitimately everyone else. The, all, the thing that I also did not mention when I was watching that start of the F1 race, Rihanna was two people down from me. So I'm just like, okay, whatever. Like, that's fun. Um, And we saw David Beckham. We saw Brad Pitt. We saw, like, it was wild. Like, outside of the actual racing, this event was a three-ring goddamn circus. I Like, to the degree that the Puma Motorsport people were miserable because it was just too much other stuff going on for them. They're so used to, like, Monza, where it's just straight racing. Yeah, this sounds like a totally different world than like 
when you go to a press conference for yeah. Chicago Marathon. Oh my God. This is like... Jules, it was above and beyond. Like, Matt and I kept just looking at each other and bursting out laughing because of how ridiculous every aspect of this weekend was. Like, it was just... It was wild. It was end-to-end wild. Like... It was such a cool experience, but like I'm very glad to be like at home in our like our little like contained boring life because I don't know how people can live like that all the time. It's so fun to experience, but I'm like that is not my world. <laughs> yeah, you're you live a much more humble, humble grassroots lifestyle. I, I just don't think I could deal with that much dopamine all the time. Like we were dopamine hungover after this weekend, like blown out on Sunday. <laughs> oh my goodness! And I heard you drove home. Yes, I did drive home. Um, I was endoing by the time. That's why I did not come over and greet you guys afterwards. No Matt, Matt slept the whole car ride home and then like couldn't sleep that night. And he was like, man, like I feel great. I feel so well rested. I'm like, you slept all day. I was asleep by 7.30 that night. Yeah, that's about the time I go to sleep most nights. Yeah. He drove the entire way up though. So I feel like that, like he earned that. It evened out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Evened out. That's what a partnership is. I feel bad. My partner, he does. 100% of the driving. Oh, it's like in our marriage vows. Yeah. Oh, so. Thou shalt drive me cross country. No, he literally has. I love that. Yeah. Um, bless his soul. So November also, the NCAA cross country mm-hmm. national championships happens yeah. in November. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, like, you know, I think that, that those races mm-hmm. have been really significant points for you in your career prior to professional running. Mm-hmm. What is is it like for you watching those races or kind of like coming back to that period of life in that yeah. time? Do you think about it? Like, did you think I, about it this past I actually weekend? did. So just because now we, we still know a lot of people like competing in there and, and now coaching at the NCAA level. And so we were actually trying to follow it. It was happening right as I was like starting my workout, um, on Saturday. So I was trying to like update on my phone. Um, and I think my biggest takeaway from it a little bit was, I think when you're in college, you think that you're so grown up and you think you're such an adult and you're like, man, like I can handle all of this, whatnot. And I think now watching it, I just realize how young all these guys are and the amount of poise that they have to have to compete like that and the amount of pressure that they're under at such a young age. I think like you look at someone like Caitlin Tui, who obviously she didn't have the race that she was looking towards, but it's like, she's someone who's like carrying the team on her back, like has had to bear so much expectation from such a young age and is just doing it so well. Like these kids just handle it so well. And same thing, like Parker Valby, like, I mean, the girl, she said she runs like two to three times a week or whatnot and can go out and get her head in the right space to go out and compete like that. I think is so impressive. Like it, yeah, I think when I was that age, I didn't give enough appreciation for just like, yeah, it's it's really hard being 21, 22 years old and having to go out and do that. Or heck, even younger, some of these girls are 18. And so it's like, just to be able to hold that poise at that level, I think is so impressive. I'm just blown away by these kids. Your final year at Notre Dame, when you did one, you mm-hmm. um, won the NCAA cross country champs. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like kind of like you felt the night before in comparison to what you feel like the night before Chicago Marathon? Is it like more fear, less fear? So that one was actually filled with a lot of fear because I had been the week before I was biking around campus and I got hit by a car um, on my bike and I actually tore quite a bit of the cartilage in my knee. So I didn't run a single step the entire week going into that. And I had been 
one of the top ranked girls in the country. I'd been going into this race knowing that I wanted to win the thing. And then this whole week I was trying to elliptical, but like it was, it was pretty bad. Like I still have that cartilage share in my knee to this day and it gives me so much grief, but it was the kind of thing where the night before the only people who really knew about it were my teammates, coach Sparks, um, my best friend, Emily, who like came in, she had graduated the year before she came in. Like we didn't even tell my mom because my mom would have like freaked out. She kept wondering why I was being so weird and cagey about it. Um, but yeah, it was the kind of thing that I felt like that was my first experience of having to realize like you have to just let go of everything. Like I'm holding all these expectations and I literally don't know if I can run a mile in this race. Um, and it was scary, but I felt like that letting go of the expectations and just being like, yeah, this is literally just going to be what it's going to be. I know I say that all the time, but it was like just having to accept like, yeah, I can't control a single thing that happens and I'm just going to go out and give my best effort. And Sparks told me, it was like, if you have to drop out after a mile, like you have to do it. I was like, I would literally rather tear my knee off <laughs> than drop out of this race. But yeah, it was, it was such an interesting experience. And I think that's what made it so like such a great experience because it came with that very real possibility of none of it actually happening. At what point in that race did you make a move like and gap the field? Um, I want to say it was probably with less than a mile to go. We were on the the Louisville course and it's kind of funny. Like it's very tight at the beginning. You do all these turns and then you come around the back and I was running with Allie Ostrander. She was like right on me and it was probably a, it had to have been like 4k or 5k of just that feeling. Like you get that feeling of just, you're like, I know that I have a gear that everybody else doesn't have. And it's this powerful, like, it's hard to describe it, but it's such an empowering thing of, you're just like, yeah, I got it. And just being able to start that, it wasn't like a huge move, but that pulling away and just being like, I know I can hold this to the end. That was really cool. And being able to come down that final stretch and just know like, yeah, nobody's catching me. It's, it's one of those things that you just remember the rest of your life. Yeah, what do you remember feeling after the race or happening that day? Oh, just joy. It was really fun. Like we had such a great team and getting to share that with like the Notre Dame team and with Sparks who had been like, I, I was really close with my college coach and like it, just being able to see his joy in that after a really like, yeah, it is like, it's so hard on college coaches. They pour their heart and soul into these teams. And when the gun goes off, they can't do a damn thing. And so it's like being able to see the relief and joy on his face. And just like, it's close enough to Notre Dame that our entire team, like everybody who wasn't competing drove down and had this incredible cheer squad. That was really fun. And then we all drove back and just partied so hard that night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm so glad to hear. Like, mm. I didn't realize it was such a like actual joyful, but it sounds like mm -hmm. the week before. Yeah. It was really fraught. And yeah. It was really like, yeah, just... It, it's scary. Like, and I think that's it. Even like, even without that injury, I think it would have been really scary, but it's the kind of thing where in hindsight, it's almost like that. I, I was so tightly wound that season. And it's like that aspect of being able to let go a little bit and just accept the, the way things were rather than the way I wanted things to be. I think that almost, uh, not that I like loved tearing the cartilage in my knee, but like, I think that that 
allowed me to have a success that I wouldn't have been able to have necessarily otherwise. It gave me that extra like oomph. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Powerful. When you look towards this upcoming month, December, mm-hmm. what is in store for you? Running, racing, travel? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to just like being in the thick of marathon training. Like December is going to be a really like solid, hopefully knock on wood, um, just like concentrated block of training. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I only have to like, we'll have Christmas at the end of the month that we're going back to Wisconsin for. Um, I'm going to TRE, which is like the big running trade show event in Austin, um, like right at the beginning of the month. But other than that, honestly, I think we're just really training hard. Like it's crazy to think that trials at the beginning of December will be only two months away. Like that's almost like terrifyingly close. So it's that kind of thing of just like really being in like, oh yeah, this is go time. Like this is, this is it. Yeah. If you were to kind of set an intention for this month, like what would that be for you? I've actually been thinking about this a lot of like, I struggle sometimes with almost like psyching myself out in training. Like I get, I get scared sometimes of just like knowing how hard it's going to be Um, or like getting fearful of just like, man, like what if I can't do it? Like what if I'm not tough enough? What if I'm not strong enough or fast enough to be able to do the training? And I think I'm just trying to be very systematic with it and go into each workout with the intention of go into it with the knowledge, like I'm the Olympic bronze medalist. I know how to do this. Like I, I might not on this day be able to complete exactly what I want to, but I will someday. And so why not try right now and just make every single workout count. I think that's it is like, I just want to make all of this count. And every single day I go out, put my best effort forward with this. Like it doesn't have to be perfect, but I very much want to go into each day knowing that I gave everything that I had that day. Mm. Yeah. There's almost like a real deep Mm self-belief that you want to hold yourself accountable to. Yeah. I think that's it is knowing that like, I think I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. Sometimes I worry that I'm like, I'm like, I'm not mentally strong enough for any of this and that I'm going to like pussy out on it. And I have to remember that like, my brain sometimes falls very far to the end of the bell curve that like I'm way too psychotic about training sometimes and perfectionist. And it, if I can just go out and give my best effort on the day, that's pretty like, that's pretty far to the end of the bell curve. I don't have to worry about like, yeah, maybe I'm just like being a baby with all this. I'm like, if I can just go out and give my best effort, that's pretty damn good. And so just trusting in that, I think it's trusting in how my brain works and just like letting it be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And kind of allowing yourself to like be satisfied. Exactly. It like, yeah. Because I think like at my, at my worst, I'm just never satisfied with anything. It always has to be more. It always has to be better or whatnot. And being able to appreciate like, yeah, like I, I gave a really good effort today. It might not be the workout that I'm imagining that some of these other women are having, but it's good enough. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know we're a couple days before Thanksgiving. This episode Mm -hmm. will come out after Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. But what's happening with the costume? Okay, put out some feelers on Instagram. They all arrived today. They all came in, and so we're actually gonna do a little fashion show probably when we get back. I'm worried that okay. So this is the pretty. You got multiple costumes. I got multiples. Well, it's Amazon. You can send it back for free. Um, So two of them are more of like the onesie style, like pajama types with the hood which they almost seem too casual. 
But the other problem is, so I got the one where it's like the children's like hand drawing of the turkey. I accidentally got the size for children ages four to six. And so it's like, it's, it's really small. Matt can attest to this. It's objectively too small. Like my head, it only fits like this much of my head. Um, <laughs> but I really like that one. Like it's objectively the most ridiculous. And I feel like it could potentially be the most runnable because my legs are free. Okay. It's just the top. But then like, I feel like I have to hold my arm out. Like... We're, we're going to TBD. We might run this by you guys. I would love to. Yeah. I'm sure also your audience would love to see like, yeah, people maybe. are really into those Instagram like videos where you're like, option A, <laughs> B, C. I, I was so glad that I figured out how to do the green screen on there. But yeah, we might need to do a little bit of like, yeah, choose your player kind yeah. of thing. Because um, I really want to make sure I do it right. This is my first year outside of my original turkey costume, so I, I don't know how it's going to go. Yeah, you're retiring the original. T- retiring the original. It's time. That thing is absolutely busted. That thing is like a relic. People would people would honestly, you could auction that I out. I have had that costume. The first time I ran in that was um, after NCAAs my senior year. Yeah. On my busted knee. It was a really bad decision that time too. That's the theme of this podcast, bad decisions. <laughs> milk before podcast or milk before runs and running turkey trots on torn cartilage. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, mm. I look forward to seeing the options and seeing what, what comes of it. Mm. Um, so for December, our next episode, something exciting is that we want to take listener questions yeah. for you and questions on your trials prep, mm-hmm. your mental and physical prep. Um, and so we have an email, mm-hmm. which will be ask the buildup podcast at gmail.com. We will also put that up on Instagram because I realize that it's very long. It is. And so we will, so that people can see it, but it's ask the buildup podcast at gmail.com. Totally. And it'll be in the show notes as well and everything, mm-hmm. but yeah, we would love to take people's questions for you. Mm-hmm. Submit those before December 15th, mm-hmm. which is crazy. It's just going to come right up. That's insane. Yeah. But yeah, the questions can be anything. They can be about training. They can be fun questions. Please keep it like mildly PG. They can be about turkey costumes. Yeah, turkey uh, costumes. Chocolate um, milk flavors. <laughs> anything that you've always wanted to ask but never have gotten the chance. So. Yeah, well, I'll do some filtering. So mm. yeah, for you, but we're looking forward to it. Yeah. Anything else you want to say or shout out? Uh, no, just happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Or yeah. I guess this will be after Thanksgiving. So hope everybody's doing their Black Friday shopping. What are you getting on Black Friday? I don't do Black Friday, girl. Okay. That is like, that is too much stimulation for me. I'll do some online shopping. I don't be know. Like, what would you want online? I don't know. That's the thing. I don't really like buying a whole lot of stuff. And that's, that's not me trying to be like transcendental. I'm not consumerist. It's just like, we don't have enough space in our house anymore to fit stuff. We've been cleaning out our garage to try and be able to fit both cars into the garage. And we're like, why do, we've only lived in that house for a year. How did we accumulate that much shit over one year? I'm going to put something on your list. I think your house, a hot tub. Would be really good. Oh damn, that would be so good. Yeah. Well, I really wanted a sauna, and I reached out to this sauna company, and they fucking shot me down. What? Yeah. Okay. Any spa- sauna sponsors? If there are out any there. sauna sponsors out there, we'd love a sauna or we'd love a hot tub. That would be great. Yeah, I just feel like I could see your house in the like the snow coming down in the winter. Yeah. You like hot tubbing on in the, the backyard. patio? That would be so fun. We could have you guys over. Yeah, that would be great. Dang. Okay. Can we get a hot tub sponsor for this? But <laughs> if you send me a hot tub, we 
will talk about your hot tub and how great it is on the next podcast. Yes, we will give it a thorough review. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's a little late for us. This was a joy, as always. Love you very much. Love you too, Jules. Thank you for tuning in to our fourth episode of The Build Up, a Beyond the Pines production. If you want to submit a question for Molly to answer on her training and prep for the trials, in December's episode, email askthebuilduppodcast at gmail.com before December 15th, 2023. That's askthebuilduppodcast at gmail.com, and the email can also be found in the show notes. A huge thanks to Matt Shapiro for photography and videography and John Summerford for music and audio production. If you want to watch the live recording of the buildup, it can be found on Molly or Beyond the Pines' YouTube channels. Tune back in in December. Be well until then. Mm-hmm.